I've devoted my life now to simplifying the entrepreneurial journey so that no entrepreneur struggles. We are the backbone of the economy. Particularly now, the world needs us more than ever. And we just got punched in the face by the world. And uh, I'm on a mission to see us through this. Welcome to Elevate, a podcast about achievement, personal growth, and pushing limits in leadership and life. I'm Robert Glazer, and I chat with world-class performers who have committed to elevating their own life, pushing the limits of their capacity, and helping others to do the same. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast. Our quote for today is from Stephen Covey. Business leaders need people who can think for themselves, who can take initiative, and be the solution to problems. Our guest today, Mike Michalowicz, is one of the smartest problem solvers in business today. He's a serial entrepreneur who started three multi-million dollar companies before he turned 35, and he's an international advocate for entrepreneurship and the author of Profit First, Clockwork, The Pumpkin Plan, and his latest book, which is out this week, Fix This Next. Mike, welcome. Excited to have you join the Elevate podcast. Robert, it's a joy to be here, and thanks for doing this. I always like to understand the uh, origin story, particular for uh, entrepreneurs. So tell me a little bit about your uh, early life, career, first job. Like, how, how did you get started uh, and into your first business? Yeah, I guess there's maybe two significant components. So the, the, I, I never had a uh, first job for real. I, I wanted one out of college, but I couldn't get the dream job, which, by the way, was working for Ernst & Young. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> what I did was I, I returned home, worked for a computer store, and uh, one night was out for drinks with another guy that worked there and said, uh, I'm smarter than the guy who owns this place. Why am I working for someone else? You know, had that retaliatory yeah. <laughs> infantile understanding of what business is about. Was drunk, you know, firing down beers. And, and I quit. I left a slurry message like, you know, I'm smarter than you. I'm starting my own business to the boss. And um, the next day with some sobriety, I was like, what did I just do? I want my job back. And the guy's like, get out of here. You're fired, kid. And um, as I walked out the door, he said, if you try to compete with me, I know everyone in this industry will simply destroy you. Good luck. And uh, that's how I started my business. So, so lesson on burning bridges. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, the ultimate burn bridge and, and total ignorance. So what I did is I said, well, screw it. I'm going to email every, this is when email is just becoming popular. I'm going to email every client that I have ever worked with selling computers to and tell them I have my own little computer business. And, uh, the first fact, this is when faxes were popular. A fax came in about an hour later. I'm like, hey, my first order. This is awesome. Cease and desist. It was an injunction yeah. <laughs> from the prior employer. Um, I got sued. My first day, I got sued. And actually, I didn't even know how to like proceed. I had $1,000 left in my name and I used it to hire an attorney. And uh, then they, that's where it was very clear. You're not allowed to solicit your former employer's list. That's their intellectual property, which I had no clue. But that was the spawning of my business. And it took raw effort and tons of fear. Fear is a great motivator to do stuff. And um, I grew that computer service business to uh, just shy. I think it was a couple of million in revenue. I don't even recall the number exactly. A little bit shy of that perhaps. And then it was acquired by private equity. I started, I had another business. I was acquired by a Fortune 500. It was a computer crime investigation. But the big moment for me, really the defining moment was after that company, I started a business as an angel investor because I thought I had it figured out. Yeah. And I was the worst angel investor. I had no clue. I actually call myself, in retrospect, the angel of death because I was so bad at this. It probably would um, get you a lot of deal flow. Oh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. The angel of death has arrived. Uh, <laughs> how much would you like? So uh, I evaporated all the wealth I had accumulated to that point, purely out of arrogance and ignorance. And um, 
I had the the moment that just changed everything. I, I got a call from my uh, accountant who said, Mike, you got to declare bankruptcy. He's like, you've evaporated everything. I had to go home to my family that day and tell them the truth because I'd been lying to them by omission. And uh, I told my wife and kids we we're going to lose our house. We lost it 30 days later. I actually didn't declare bankruptcy. I, I didn't think that was fair to my creditors, but I had to jettison costs ridiculously fast. We had a neighbor who knew our situation and they effectively just gave us their house. They were traveling into Europe and they, they needed a house sitter. and That became our new house. And um, I, uh, I told my daughter, this, I'll never forget this moment, Robert. I told my daughter, I can't afford your horseback riding lessons, the $25 or $20 session once a week. She was nine. She was, she was crying. I was crying. She ran out of the room. And I thought she was running away. She ran to her bedroom to grab her piggy bank. And she ran. She goes, Daddy, Daddy, I'll start providing for our family. <laughs> that, that made it worse. That made it worse. I realized what a tool I was and, and the audacity I had to think I was so smart and capable. I also had this pride in my daughter that you know she was willing to sacrifice her life savings. She was saving up to buy a horse to provide for us. And um, that became the seed of change that I needed to find the essence of what made entrepreneurship work. I didn't know much. I knew very, very little and I had to reinvestigate everything. So and it wasn't like the next morning, by the way, I woke up and said, I got this now. I started drinking. I went through depression, but it became the seed of change. And uh, I've devoted my life now to simplifying the entrepreneurial journey so that no entrepreneur struggles. We are the backbone of the economy, particularly now. The world needs us more than ever. And we just got punched in the face by the world. And uh, I'm on a mission to see us through this selfishly for myself because I, I was clueless and I'm trying to figure this out for me and my businesses, but I want to share everything I know with people who are seeking that same path. Well, there are a couple of interesting things in that story. Uh, the first is, and I, I've written on this a lot in, in my book and in a Friday Forward story that like the connection between purpose and pain, right? And, and a lot of people like it's really obvious, but they don't see it <laughs> in front of them, right? Yeah. So it all, it's often actually this terrible pain that says, you say, I am going to solve this, fix this. And, and clearly you were there. Given the context of where we are now, though, can you help provide like, one of the outcomes I think for a lot of people in this is, is going to be sort of a forced or unforced career change. A lot of people are just sitting there, they think they're happy, and then something forces them to do something that they couldn't do. So talk to people who are sitting here now, like, you know, with the worst possible situation, probably comparable to where you were, right? They're probably actually not losing their house yet, just not understanding why or how good can come out of this and, and you know, how that, how that was the turning point for you. Here's the irony is, is this moment we're experiencing right now is the Petri dish for entrepreneurship. It is actually the perfect environment for entrepreneurship because entrepreneurship is defined as identifying needs in a market and satisfying those needs in some systematized fashion. And so like the need, there's this massive needs shift. Five weeks ago from this recording, it was business as usual. Today, it's all changed. So there's a, a massive amount of opportunity. But conversely, you know, how we, how we receive this, I think there's, actually I was talking to a psychologist once, there's, there's three triggers for us to find purpose in, in our life uh, and manifest it through a business. And the three triggers that she shared with me was, she called them big T's, little T's, and big C's. And the big T's are big traumas. Um, and trauma could be, what I experienced was, you know, financial trauma. I had an identity of who I was now and it got torn out because of my own, mistakes. The trauma could be physical abuse or, or worse. And 
there's a moment that we say, I will no longer stand for this. I will not permit this to me or others. And that becomes a stance and that can be manifesting a business. The, the little T's are the drip. And that's what a lot of us experience, these drip traumas where you just feel this building dissatisfaction or you were picked on as a kid year in and year out. And uh, in any individual element, it's manageable, but cumulatively it becomes unmanageable. And, and we draw that line in the sand, that commitment. And, and by the way, there's two forms of commitment. There's commitment to resolve or commitment to acceptance. Some people say, I am the victim. I'm done. This is who I am now. And other people say, I will not be the victim. I'm going to make a stance. And uh, I'm not actually even here to place a judgment on what's right or wrong, but it, it is a choice that seems triggers one of those two. The, the third and final is these big C's. And the big C's are the childhood dreams, that ambition we had that goes unsatisfied. So there's this kind of deteriorating, I'm losing out on what I could have been. Right. And then we say, you know what? Damn it, this is the moment. And uh, some of us will never realize that. We just keep on this slow downward loss of our dream. But others, a trigger moment happens. So this can be seen as a fresh slate. And I hope people are seeing it that way, saying, okay, this is a chance. Because if I'm not making money the old right. way, I might as well go all in in my childhood dream and make that reality now. And by the way, it also highlights, I was just talking with this as someone, it highlights you know, these values-based decisions that you did or didn't make. So if you were really overpaid and you chose to stay in that job, working for that boss that you just didn't really trust and didn't like, and now you're in this foxhole with this person and you know that they're going to do the wrong thing and all this stuff, like you're now, you're now suffering the consequences of that. And, and again, it might be easier to, to pull the ripcord. Yeah, exactly. Because there's that trade-off saying, well, I've secured a, a degree of income that allows me to live a lifestyle that I have uh, defined for myself. And we get comfortable with that. But there's this missing piece. Well, once that comfort gets torn away, it's kind of a you might as well experience. It's funny. I, I was talking with uh, my one of my original business coaches. Actually, my original business coach, right now I think about it, the first guy I ever worked with, his name is Frank Minatolo. Worked with him for years. And... Um, what he says is we need to get so dissatisfied and uncomfortable with a comfortable yet unfulfilling experience right. that that'll make the leap because pursuing anything new is risky. It is terrifying because what if it doesn't work out? And we have to get to the point of getting so dissatisfied and disappointed with our current situation that the risk becomes greater with staying how things are than making that leap. And, um, Sometimes, you know, the world serves that. And, and right now, I think a lot of people are experiencing that is, is it's become so uncomfortable that maintaining the norm, it's now not nearly as risky, or at least the risk of staying the norm is greater than the risk of making the leap. So I think more people are going to make the leap over to pursuing their dreams. And, it, you know, it doesn't have to be an entrepreneurial startup. That's my passion. I hope people do that. But it could be to being employed in a new capacity or, or doing new work or pursuing that hobby that becomes now a, an outlet for a side hustle. I, I think we're going to see more of that now. I hope we do. Yeah. And if I had to summarize a lot of your books, it seems like you're trying to bring sanity <laughs> to entrepreneurialism. And we'll talk about fix this next in a little bit. But I know you talked about going these long periods of an entrepreneur where it felt like you're always on the cusp of like heart attack and it was chaos. And, and, and I know that's how you got to where you were. Like, what, what did that look like? And just 
as an overarching summary of a lot of the different things you've talked about, like what are the key strategies that you've kind of written about to help people not be in this constantly frenetic uh, state that we see so many entrepreneurs in? One of the things is just to get an understanding first of why are we frenetic? And I, I do write about that and fix this next. I call it the survival trap, but it's consistent through all my the work I've done. And uh, I think in fix this next, I just illustrate it most effectively. And it's now become something that you can do on a piece of paper. Or you can do this on your mind. It's three steps. On a piece of paper, ideally a large piece of paper, like a eight and a half by 11, you draw the letter A in the center and you put a circle around it. And what A represents is where we are in the moment. It is the crisis we're experiencing or the struggle, perhaps an opportunity. But you write A and you put it in the middle. That's step one. That's where you are now. Step two is you draw an arrow away from A in any direction you choose, a short distance, maybe a quarter inch or an inch or something, but just a way out. And what that line represents is if we're in crisis or experiencing a challenge, and that decision we make that gets us out of it relieves the challenge. So we experience immediate relief. But the thing is you can draw an arrow in any direction. So now draw another arrow in the opposite direction or wherever you choose, but draw another arrow. And as an example of this is some businesses right now say, well, I can't do business as normal. You know, my restaurant shut down. Oh my gosh, I, I need money to just a lot live. I need a, a loan. And so I'm going to apply for these loans. And that's an arrow out. Another way is I'm just going to not pay rent anymore. That's another arrow out. And I'm going to just fire everyone. And that's another arrow out. So there's all these different considerations that we think about. And you can draw arrows out maybe five or six in different directions. Step three, though, is now I want you to draw the letter B and put it in a circle in the bottom left corner of that paper. And uh, I don't know what you drew, but it's likely very few of the arrows point directly to point B. In some cases, no arrows are pointing there. And what B represents is the vital need, what your business specifically needs you to do to sustain it, to maintain it, to grow it. It's the one impactful choice you, you can make. But you'll see from those arrows is, is we rarely consider the impactful need the business has. We focus on all the apparent issues that are going on. Anything we do in the moment escapes us from A, so we actually feel relief. If we just put out that fire quickly, I'm out. That's good. But very quickly, we put ourselves in a new A. So wherever those arrows lead to, you can just draw another A, and now we can just make any decision in any direction. And if you continue this pattern, you'll see that you just keep on moving in these circuitous, strange directions. So what we need to do as business owners to resolve this is get clarity on what our business needs and then start making decisions that are consistent with it. A lot of businesses right now are just you know, panicked to get loans. And maybe it's right for some people. There's a disproportionate number of people getting it. Kind of like the toilet paper run. There's an yeah. extraordinary people that just load up. And, there's a guy that has a year's worth of toilet paper in his garage. I, I've said if I could short toilet paper when this was over, I would because oh. we're going to have years of it, right? Yeah, right. It's just extreme behavior. And um, I get it because in the moment it feels right. You're protected. But now that guy has less money to do other things and he's sitting on toilet paper that's getting, you know, it, where I live in the Northeast, humid and it's going to get moldy and gross if it sits out there all the time. So you, you got to protect it and double and triple wrap it in plastic. So there's carrying costs. All these businesses are doing the same thing within their business. And uh, what I'm trying to introduce is I, I call it the pregnant pause. Between every action that's happening right now, is triggering a reaction, but we're not giving ourselves consideration. So we need to act, consider, which is that pregnant pause to think, is this consistent with what my business truly needs? And then move forward and move it in that general direction of B consistently. That's the way out of this quagmire is to march 
one direction out, not to start spinning around. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? Two years ago, I bought a dual suspension mountain bike for the first time, and it pushed me to ride trails that I had never been willing to try before. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has exceptional capability that will have you seeing the possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. The Lexus GX comes with available dynamic sky panorama glass roof, available front row massaging seats, best-in-class towing capacity, available 33-inch all-terrain tires, and available multi-terrain select. I've seen the new Lexus GX popping up all around my town, and not only does it have the capabilities to take you to new places on and off the road, but it's a great-looking car. The new Lexus GX is ready to raise the bar for you. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and free. LinkedIn isn't just a job board. It helps you identify and hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. Case in point, last year I asked the CEO of a major ski resort how he got his job, and he told me that he saw it on LinkedIn and decided to apply. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. The team at LinkedIn is also constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process easier and quicker. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash practical. That's linkedin.com slash practical to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Yeah, I don't, I've been exposed to a wide variety of people in business, not business. Otherwise, looking at their actions, we're both in a ton of forums and business groups. I will say that the people that are struggling the most are acting from a place of fear, pretty universally from what I've seen. And that sounds like that correlates to what you've seen with business decisions too. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, people are acting from fear and fear is escape. How you address fear is escape. And uh, so anything that gets you out of fear feels good in the moment. So we are looking at very short-term relief for in trade for long-term agony. And so many businesses right now are positioning themselves for real difficulty. They're actually putting themselves out of their business. It's funny because basically we manifest what we see or what we think. So some people are like, oh, my business is in trouble. I'm going to go out of business if I don't do something. And they do the exact thing that actually puts them out of business faster. I did right. a call yesterday um, with a group of, uh, well, there were 7,000 attendees. It was facilitated through Verizon. And so we do Q&A at the end. And it's actually even hard to monitor because the chat is a, it's a streaming words. But as I reflected on it afterwards, I, I downloaded it to kind of look through it. The consistent questions were, what can I do to immediately bring in a chunk of money, regardless if I make money doing this or lose money? They didn't use those words. It was like, I need money now. Yeah. And so the questions were, should I cut my prices in half? And my, I don't even, without knowing the business, I'm like, that sounds like you just crushed your margin. Uh, no, you can't afford that. That's the, the old GM. What we lose on every car, we make up in volume, right? Volume, right? <laughs> right. It's a classic joke. And that's what I see businesses reverting to. I saw some people saying, you know what? Should I um, 
offer certificate for future services so people can buy gift cards basically, uh, but I'll deliver on the future. And I'm like, it, that may not be a good choice. You may not be able to deliver on it. Will people try to come back after you uh, for claims? You, you may have personal liability here. They're so reactive and, and, I, and I get it. I get it. But um, often making decisions inconsistent with which will, what will benefit the business. There's a quick method, by the way, not my concept, but this was written by a woman named Susie Welsh, the wife of Jack Welsh who passed away. She wrote this concept called the 10-10-10. And it's been very helpful in navigating consideration. What she says is whatever you're thinking about, ask yourself, how will I feel about this in the next 10 minutes? And that's where most people concentrate all their effort or consideration. Yeah. But then she says, ask, how will you feel about this in the next 10 months? And then how will you feel about this in the next 10 years? And what this does is it forces consideration, not just in the immediate, but in the midterm and long-term. It brings a little bit of balance and prevents us from disproportionately putting value in right now and, and helps us consider long-term impact of our decisions. It's sort of, for a lot of these businesses, right, this, this sort of phonetic response to what, what I need to do when really it's kind of like, need to go back to first principles, right? And something that's really smart that you talked about and fix this next, and I, I've been sharing something similar, is this hierarchy of needs for a business. And I can't think of something that's more important now than to clarify that. So can you talk about like, what are those five needs and, and how do they relate to each other? Yeah, yeah. And it's ironic. So you know, when I wrote Fix This Next, it was specifically for business that experiences challenge and crisis. But I was writing the book around micro crisis, loss of <laughs> revenue yeah. from you know uh, a lost clients or um, the rise of a competitor. We're experiencing what's called macro crisis, which then triggers micro crisis. So yeah. it's ideally suited for this circumstance, even though that was not my intention. The essence of it is this consideration that people don't know where B is. The biggest challenge business owners have is knowing what their biggest challenge is. So we got to figure out B. And how we do it is uh, using the business hierarchy of needs. It is, like you said, it's five levels. And um, it works like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And if you're not familiar with that, it's basically the base level must always be satisfied in order to support the level above it. Very much like a building a structure. You need a foundation to support the first level and the first level to support the second. Well, how the business hierarchy of needs works is the base level need for all business is sales. Sales is the creation of cash. If we equate this to Maslow's hierarchy, it's the creation of oxygen. Uh, it's breathing. It's a physiological need. And with no sales, you have no business. But the moment you start having sales, then the question is, is this foundational need satisfied enough where it can support the level above it? The second level in the business hierarchy of needs is profit. And profit is the creation of stability. If we equate this to Maslow's hierarchy, it's, it's equivalent to shelter, protects an organization. Yeah. And it's already at this level uh, that business owners get confused. And one critical difference between Maslow's hierarchy and the business hierarchy is Maslow's hierarchy, we are biologically wired into it. My senses, your senses trigger a need because of our sight, hearing. You know, if I'm choking on a hamburger I just ate, I will biologically respond by coughing to get it out because oxygen is deprived. In the business hierarchy, means we are not biological business. We are not neurologically connected, but we trust our gut and that becomes dangerous because we say, I, I need more sales. Oh, I need to get that loan fast. We don't look at the empirical that supports it. That's the necessary differentiator. We have to identify a need and back it with the data. Can we validate what our senses are? So the first level is sales. That's the creation of cash. We ask ourselves, do we have adequate cash creation to support a degree of profitability? 
Most businesses right now have profit concerns, not sales concerns, yet they're responding by trying to sell more. It's like you're out in, the, in a tundra freezing to death or whatever. There's a blizzard right. that analogy works. And we're trying to breathe our way through it. No, no, we need shelter. And three levels above that, above profit, are order. Order is the creation of efficiency. Same question every time. Do we have enough profit to adequately support a degree of improved efficiency? Above efficiency or order, we then have impact. That's creation of transformation. It's, it's when we no longer are in the business of transactions, but transformation of being service beyond the commodity. The highest level is legacy, the creation of permanence. The last point I want to make about this is the hierarchy needs is a hierarchy. It's not a ladder. It's not like we try to climb up this. Our business will cycle through this based upon our needs. And so, you know, five weeks ago, you may have been focusing on impact and being transformational and you had nailed sales, profit, and efficiency or order. But now you need to revert back to the profit level or bring about actually more efficiency. Our businesses have order opportunities here because that's a great way to maintain your pricing point but bring more profitability to your business. So these work relationally, just like building a building. But you always have to support the foundation first. If there's no sales, you're done. If you have sales but there's no profit, then you're done because the business is, is built on cards. So you got to keep building the structure in relation. And how do you think about people in that hierarchy and the team? Yeah, the team falls in at the order level. So, you know, what I consider when it comes to people within an organization, they are the grease of the gears. Like you can have the greatest systems in the world, but if, if there is no you know, lubrication, those things will burn out. You know, try to run a, a car, a gasoline car with no oil, and it just it smokes up. So the, the team plays out on the order level. And I talk about concepts. So within each level, there's core needs. And within the order level, I talk about the need for what's called linchpin redundancy. You're, you look at your key team members and you understand what their core competency is and you put structure in place to allow that if they are not available for that to continue on. You know, I talk about leadership at that level where we transform from this concept of task rabbiting to outcome delegation. Instead of saying, you got to do this, you have to do that. Outcome delegation is here's what we need to achieve. You're closest to the problem. Navigate us through this. It's really the highest level of trust actually with our colleagues and vice versa them with us. Yeah. And it's, it's funny because, you know, you and I both know Rich Manders, Rich and his partner, one of our coaches. And, and one of the things that we were talking to them earlier this week is, is being really clear in these next couple of months and the rest of the year, our hierarchy of needs. Because most businesses now just face difficult decisions. <laughs> I think I said, yeah. like all the easy decisions, like those are done, right? Those are months ago. They're not happening. Now it's, it's scarce resources at speed. And, they, and, and I do think they have to, we actually came up with hierarchical order of principles, you know, for the next few months, starting with our values. And, and as an example, I keep giving to everyone, you know, there is a rubric for who gets a ventilator because you know, th these are unfathomable choices, but if you don't have a thought process for what's more important, how you sleep at night and you panic and you choose no one, then, then both people die. <laughs> yeah, then choosing everyone. Yeah, that's right. funny. They're, they're talking about the, the creation of these autonomous vehicles and the great conundrum is... Right, the algorithms, yeah. Is the algorithm is who dies when there's a pending inevitable accident that's unavoidable. And so... The funny thing is we run through that rubric in our mind, but it's such a subconscious level. We don't think about it. We just react. And we don't necessarily make the best choice on a logical basis. We make the best choice on adrenaline and emotion in that moment, sometimes killing ourselves. Now we have actually put an algorithm to it. Well, when it comes to running a business, we can be a little more logical about this. And uh, when it comes to our team, 
and I, you know, this is my last company. We were in the 2000, uh, the early 2000 recession. I had a business. I had grown it and we had 30 employees. We were on a run for $7 million in revenue when we sold it. But leading up to that, we had this point where the cash flow just stopped. I was on focusing on sales, not considering profit. It was so bad, I had to lay people off. So I let go of about, I think it was 12 or 13 people. The smart move about that is letting go 13 people. I was able to save the organization. Actually, even hire some people back after that. If I try to save everyone, the entire organization would go down and now 30 people have a job. The mistake I made was the remaining 18 people or so, I said, uh, I need more from you now. I made a, a tremendous mistake in our finances by letting go people, as painful as it was. It was the right decision for the health of the organization ultimately. I need you to step up and uh, I have to cut your salaries by 10% for us to sustain. Well, that 10% cut, in my opinion, was a grave mistake. I just demanded more from the people who were left over, told them I was bringing about financial security, and I proved it to them by cutting their salaries. And they're like, okay, he has not brought financial security. He can't secure us. I should have actually let go of one or two more people and allowed them to retain their salaries or even increase their compensation during that time. And what happened was I started undermining their subconscious belief in the sustainability of the business. I lost as we were recovering. I started losing employees, which made no sense to me until I realized they didn't trust that we were actually recovering. And uh, they went to the competition, a few of them. That was the mistake. There are so many things you said in there <laughs> that I, that I want to bring up because I, this to me, the hierarchy of needs is, is critical. For You and I have been on tons of calls with CEOs and just seen all this stuff going on, right? And you have the fear side, which is just cut everything and whatever. And then you have the other side, which I think is a little bit, you know, too idealistic around like, I want to preserve everything. So one of the things I've been reading a lot around is from military leaders and how, you know, the avoidance of collateral damage creates more damage. And, and you took to the essence of what almost every CEO I'm talking to is struggling with now is they, they don't know how long it will go. The ones that are not in horrible shape, you know, want to hold on to all their people. But it is this equation of like, right, do I, I think the, the company has to come above the individual because if, if you hold on too long and there's no company to come back to, then, and this is really hard for the employees to understand, then there's no, then, then there's no point in the whole thing, right? So that is where I think, again, piece of paper, we, you know, we actually did this, you know, we said, look, company comes above individual, then where clients come into play and, and how you have to make these decisions during this time. Because if you don't have a rubric, I just, I think you get too emotional. I, I think that some CEOs in the vein of trying to hold on to everyone and be the company that didn't have any adverse effect in this may miscalculate how long they can go and, and put the whole company at risk. Yeah. And the one person they compromise is usually the most important employee, which is themselves. Yeah. Right. Because the owner just says, I don't want to be selfish. I'm going to cut back any of my income. I'm going to sacrifice. This is my business after all. And yet the one who the most demand on is on is themselves. Yeah. So this becomes a real risky move. And it sounds selfish to say, no, no, I have to care for myself. But uh, here's what I see people doing. I see business owners saying, you know what, I'm going to cut my salary, therefore I can save someone else. Uh, I'm going to forgo paying my mortgage and so forth. Just from a logical financial standpoint, the viability of getting potential loans or any kind of credit in the future is predominantly based on, for small business owners, the financial viability of the owner themselves, not even the business. It's my personal credit score that matters more than the business credit score, so to speak. And yet that's the thing we compromise. So again, this is a very short-term reactionary thing without consideration for the long-term consequence. I know there's moral components here and our definition of ethics. 
but we have to be reasonable in consideration of the long-term health of the organization. I think that's the most moral thing we can do is save a company that can then re-employ people. The other thing that's kind of unique, really unique about this circumstance, Robert, is that the government has set up a landing pad, if you will, for people that are furloughed or laid off or fired, which I don't actually even know if the terms are different. We just yeah. use software terms. But if, if you fire someone today, they have the softest landing they could ever have. If you defer that and you try to quote unquote save them in two months from now, you can't sustain your business. I don't know what the circumstances will be for their landing pad. So you may be compromising them. Yeah, I think this is, look, this is where leaders <laughs> need to lead uh, and make these decisions. And I, I think as you pointed out too, one thing I've seen if you talk to people from past crises is the unintended consequences, right? I, I heard a lot about the pay cuts uh, and you cut people's pay. Well, well, then when does it go back? I heard people were bitter for years, <laughs> you know, that they're, and then they left, like you said, because their salary, you know, n- never went back. So uh, you got to play these things. You have to apply your 10, 10, 10 rule to that too. Like, how does this look in 10 months, you know, in 10 years? Uh, how does this play through in the scenario planning? But it does, I just think it comes back to a clear, unemotional hierarchy of needs. If you took a 22-year-old med student and asked them in real time, who'd just been graduated in real time to choose who live and dies with a ventilator, I really believe they could freeze up and give it to no one versus they had a clearly hierarchical, ethical written statement that they could follow because it's not, there's no good decision. So you just you need something that you can sleep with <laughs> at, at night. No, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. I mean, could you imagine giving the ventilator to no one or conversely trying to share it with everybody? In both scenarios, everyone dies. So yeah, we got to be very specific. And uh, we also need a method. So in Fix This Next, I talk about this concept called OMEN. It just stands for the process. Now you know what to do. So the hierarchy pinpoints what to do. Then you simply ask, well, how do I go about it? And OMEN is a similar to the SMART method. Uh, I think it's just a little more consolidated, a little more specific to business. But once you know, I got a profit problem. And specifically, my, my immediate profit problem is cost cutting. And I think for many businesses, that's what it is. You know, letting go people, for example, controlling or stopping rent, usually the two most common costs for service-based businesses, at least. And we ask, well, what's the objective here? Well, I need to get my costs down by 70%. And then as of my current status, the sales will now support profit. So that's the objective. Then we set measurements. And measurements are, you know, like what products, what, what are the things I need to track to ensure I'm getting there? Um, it's the renegotiation of uh, rent and it's the termination of these employments. You know, how, I, how am I going to measure I'm getting there? Then we do this E, which is the evaluation frequency. And the evaluation frequency means how often am I checking on that making progress? Many businesses commit to doing something like, we're going to ramp sales. And then they say, by the end of the quarter, and they never check in again. And then the quarter, like, oh, didn't get there. Or we did, but usually they didn't. And they're like, oh, maybe next quarter. So we need to accept this rhythm, this scheduled meeting, even if it was just ourselves, to evaluate our progress toward that goal. And are, we, are the measurements actually happening? And the final part is nurture, which is simply allow ourselves the dynamics to realize the objective we set were based upon the current circumstances, but things can change. Yeah. And so allow ourselves the freedom to change the objective or the measurement or the evaluation frequency based upon the new data we're collecting as we move along. And that just becomes a very simple framework to start achieving uh, and acting on the results that we need based upon what we've identified in the business hierarchy of needs. Yeah. If I, anyone out there, I would read that part of the book, sit down with this in your time of quiet and thought being really clear on this hierarchy so that when it's chaotic, you have something that you can rely back on. Well, 
we're, we're both, you know, Gen Xers, uh, very unappreciated uh, generation <laughs> in, in the middle. We're all, we're all in the middle of this. And what's interesting about our, our generation, I, I wrote this in an article this week, is that we haven't really had a garden variety recession. We've now had three kind of calamities, which was the dot-com bubble in 9-11, the, the Great Recession, and now whatever this ends up being called. And you know, for those that get out of this one, I, I think they'll do more what you're doing. They'll be teaching, coaching, you know, the old battlefield general kind of telling war stories. But I've learned the most actually in the last couple of weeks from folks who were kind of in the prime and in the middle of it during, you know, the Great Recession about what they did and people willing to do that. So you've now been through all three of these. What are some of the key lessons that you would say that you're applying now and that people should should learn from the past? Yeah, so I'll talk about some of the big picture stuff and I'll talk about then maybe some more of the draconian stuff. So the, the big picture stuff is I believe that clients uh, use this situation as an opportunity, in fact, to leave their vendors that they already were kind of questioning the value of the relationship. This is a great trigger. And so I think many businesses will lose, say, 10% of their client base, not because the clients don't need the service or can't afford the service, even in these circumstances. It gives them a cover to do what they were too wimpy to do. It's before. a cover, yeah. right. Yeah. So 10, say 10% are using it as a cover. And that, that includes 10% of my clients. So if I'm a small business, and I am, and I have 500 clients, for example, 10% is a, is a, 50, a loss of 50 clients. To try to save those clients is fruitless because they're, they're using this, even subconsciously to themselves, as an excuse. But if I look up, that's downstream. If I look upstream, my competition, you know, maybe I have a big competitor who's 5,000 clients. Well, they lose 500. And maybe collectively among all my competitors, we're talking now 500,000 clients. That means 5,000 clients have just entered the space while I only lost 50. I need to look and market into those, those opportunities. Now, those clients may be moving in more cautiously. It's not like they're all going to just jump and hire me right away, but they may start shifting. Some of them may buy now. Other ones are just looking for their new relationship. And when they need to pull the trigger, they want to know who they can trust. So I'm actively looking upstream and I'm marketing that way. In my, in my business, in many service-based businesses, education uh, is the best way to do it right now. Education marketing, very small bite-sized pieces. Here's what you do to serve yourself client. And I'm available for you if you need me beyond servicing yourself. That's a great way to address it. Uh, more product-based businesses, it's inviting clients in to sample and, and test. Say, listen, you know, if you need these coffee mugs or whatever you manufacture, yeah. we'd love to get samples to you. Let them start. Either way, it's a sampling of you, and that's the way to track them. So I'm, I'm actively doing that. I've actually amplified my marketing uh, against the traditional competitors right now in that way. Secondly, is, is, is an acquisition opportunity. So we're looking to acquire other businesses now. Now, let me tell you this. In this market, acquisitions become very sweet because you don't have to put, it's like a no money down deal. Yeah. You go to a business that's out of business <laughs> and you can say, listen, uh, you're going out of business anyway. Wh why don't you make some money out of this? I'd like to acquire you. We're going to do uh, seller financing, meaning you hold the note, but I'll pay you based upon certain performance metrics, you know, get the client base and so forth. So there's acquisition opportunity all around right now. Be cautious, you know, don't be flagrant here, but that's what we're looking at. That's the big picture stuff. The kind of mid ground stuff is active communication with my colleagues and my team. They need leadership. We all need leadership now. Our yeah. clients need our vendors. Need. So leadership is not extreme confidence to the point of ignorance. It's not like we're going to survive and everything's great and we're out, you know, let's do this. It is okay to be scared. I'm scared. I, I don't know what the future beholds. I'm nervous. But 
It's honest candor where we are and you're in a plan to move through this. So we told our team, you know, we have lost some revenue, but we have opportunities out of this and we need to create new products on an expedited basis that caters to the new needs of our customers. So this is the way out. And that's what we've been beating that drum regularly. And our team is enthused. At least that's the the experience we're feeling because we're talking with every one of our employees. Now, every one of our employees, we have 12 employees, so that's pretty easy. But everyone of our employees is getting a one-on-one meeting to discuss how they're feeling and how they're managing this. And, and we're giving them empathy and understanding. Um, and we've created products. We've never created products so quickly. The other thing we're doing on the kind of mid-level basis, and I'm surprised how few businesses are doing this, is actively asking your clients, what do you need now? I'm shocked how many businesses are just trying to satisfy needs without asking. So we surveyed uh, about five weeks ago our entire client base saying, uh, what do you need now? The number one response, by the way, for us, because we do business education, yeah. was um, confidence. I don't feel confident myself. How do I get confident? So we've developed this thing called the confidence course that we're on the verge of rolling out in the next couple of days. And then the draconian stuff is um, those who ask first are most likely to get those asks granted. Uh, our buddy Rich Manders talks about this stuff too. Is yeah. like, you know, go to your landlord immediately if there's multiple tenants and say, and if it's true, I mean, be integral. You need your rent cut. If the first person asks, you'll get it. The second, maybe the third, forget it. If it comes to cost cutting, if it comes to any kind of needs, you've got to ask immediately. That's the draconian stuff, but is necessary. That's a great list. And I, I, you got goodies that, <laughs> there for everyone to take away. So Mike, last question for you, and, and maybe in, in the context of all this, but what's a personal or professional mistake that you've made that you learned the most from? And it could be singular or repeated. Um, well, the repeated ones that maybe I haven't learned, right? Because they're repeated. <laughs> I do know this. I, there was a time, it's, it's just funny because Inc. Magazine ran an article about like the greatest mistakes entrepreneurs have made. And, and I was uh, in a very non-glorious way, I was featured. And uh, what it was, was I thought when it came to recruiting, it's how bad do they want it? And I remember running interview series at 3 a.m. in the morning for a company for salespeople because I said, if a salesperson really wants this, they're going to show up and it doesn't matter what time it is, you always be selling. Well, the people that showed up were unemployed drunks. Uh, one guy was drunk. Uh, another guy was getting off his shift at UPS and said, I was just driving by anyway. I found that the good salespeople were recharging and sleeping uh, so they could sell well the next day. I had this perverted perception. It's how bad do you want it proves your qualifications. What I realized is actually recruiting is about finding people that already have proven in their history uh, through other employment or whatever, how great they are and their potential, and then offering them something that they can't resist. That's the way to recruit. And I was just making this grand mistake for quite a while. And that was just the epitome of it, that, that stupid 3 a.m. recruiting session. Yeah, I can't tell you the number of people who've learned their biggest mistake through hiring or something they did through hiring that they will not not do again. Yeah. So Mike, where can people learn more about uh, your work, your business, your books? What's the best place to go? Yeah, the best place to go is fixthisnext.com. And uh, Fix This Next has information about the book, but I think the real value is we enacted a free evaluation. We, it, it, as we're recording this, it's going live this afternoon. What it does is you can run through the business hierarchy of needs it's for any business, analyze your business in less than five minutes. It asks you about 25 questions and it'll report back to you exactly what your business needs resolved now. And it's free. There's no download or anything. It just, it presents it to you. And this is one thing we're, we weren't planning on enacting until after the book launch, but we're speeding things up because I think this will serve businesses in the greatest way. Awesome. Well, Mike, thanks for uh, joining us today. That was a great discussion and you shared tons of takeaways that I think can help other uh, business leaders. Oh, thank you, brother. I appreciate this, Robert.
All right. To our listeners, thanks for tuning in the Elevate podcast today. We'll include links to Mike and all his work on the detailed episode page at robertglazer.com. If you got value out of today's episode or the podcast in general, I'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a review. It's the number one way that new users find the show. Uh, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, this can take you less than 60 seconds. Hit the library icon, scroll down, click on Elevate, and at the bottom, you can leave uh, your review. So thanks again for your support. Until next time, keep elevating. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join podcast royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.